Morning, everyone. How are you doing? How good is it to sing together? Amazing. If you don't mind me saying, you sound so much better than I remember. I mean, they're really, really good. Um, um, if you don't mind, I would actually like to start by praying. Um, I wonder if we could just have a moment of quiet. And why don't you just take a sec to bring to God what you're longing for this retreat? What would you love God to say to you? What do you need him to do? What do you need for your service? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we wait on you. Father, you see our hearts, our needs and our longings, and we just want to bring to you our thirst and our need of God, and I want to pray for the next couple of days, that individually we would each encounter you, but may this also be significant for us as a church. May as a church, as a people, may it feel like grave clothes come off. And we walk into new life. Come God, meet with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Um, I've got what feels like a very simple message to kick off uh, our time together. Uh, I know as I say that, some of you will do an inner eye roll, but that's how I roll. Simple, Andy, simple message. Um, and um, as I was praying about what to um, kick off our retreat with, I, I really did pray and the same sentence just came to mind again and again and again. And I won't reveal what that is just yet to keep you in a bit of suspense. But um, as I was kind of halfway through my preparation, I came across a couple of notes I'd scribbled down for last year's retreat that got cancelled because of COVID. And uh, I'd forgotten this, but I'd written down exactly the same thing. And I thought, oh, maybe there is something for us as a church here. And then I chatted to the kids' workers, and they are going through exactly the same material. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something for us as a church here. And uh, I want to start by reading a few verses from Romans chapter 5. If you have a Bible, I would love you to turn there. Uh, we've spent a lot of the summer in Romans chapter 12. I won't repeat loads of the context. Uh, so this is just a small chunk of what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. And it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. First eight verses of Romans 5 say this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Uh, I think it's worth saying there's probably about three years' worth of sermons uh, in these eight verses. In fact, as an aside, uh, you've all had to settle for shorter sermons over the last 18 months. I mean, maybe we could just go full fat and do an extra long sermon this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Oh, I love you, love you. Bad luck, Joel. Cancel the second session. No. Um, rather than trying to unpack everything, I just want to focus on one verse in particular, which is verse 5. And I want to read it again a couple of times. This is what it says. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, what's this verse, what's this passage, what's this talk all about? Uh, well, by way of lighter introduction, um, one of my favorite anecdotes of the last few years of uh, church life uh, came when my eldest daughter, my middle child, Mia, uh, discovered that Loz, um, our kids and families worker um, from the Bethnal Green, now Mile End service, had just started dating Dom. Uh, uh, Laws and Dom know I'm giving this illustration, uh, so this is with permission. They've given me a photo of them as well. Clearly, the relationship went really well. They, they got married. In fact, it got really, it's gone really well because baby Harrison is due any day now. They're here. Hey, Laws and Dom, great to have you with us. But when they started dating, um, Laws had roped Dom into doing kids' work on Love London Sunday. So all our services together to kind of celebrate what God's done together. And uh, we drive in, have a great time, driving home uh, from Love London, and um, I say to the kids, I say to Mia, hey, uh, Mia, how, how was church? How was kids' work? And Mia piped up. She said, oh, Dad, it was great. We met Dom. I said, you met Dom? She said, yeah, we met Dom. I said, well, Mia, you know Dom? She said, yeah. I said, Dom is Lauren's new boyfriend. And she went, Dom? I went, I, I went, Dom? She said, Dom is Lauren's new boyfriend. I went, Dom is Lauren's new boyfriend. And she sat there in stunned silence and then went, does Lauren know? <laughs> oh, still makes me laugh now. Now, the reason we laugh at that is it is absolutely inconceivable to us that we could be in a relationship with another person and not know it. Surely that's not possible. And yet I wonder how often we maybe do that sometimes with God. Do we really know the enormity of what it's like to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe? Do we know how much God loves us? Do we know the unfailing nature of his love for us? Do we know his passion for us? Does Lauren know? And do the rest of us? Over the past few years, I've found myself getting in to increasingly the writings of a guy called Eugene Peterson. Uh, he was a prolific author. Uh, he wrote the message translation of the Bible, amongst other things. A very humble man, very lovely man, uh, I'm told. And I think one of the reasons I connect with him uh, is the kind of earthy nature of his writings. He was very familiar with the mess of everyday life. And sometimes he would kind of confess to his son. He'd say, like, son, I feel like a fraud. He'd say things like, you know, I feel like I basically say the same thing. I preach the same sermon every week. And it's just that people haven't realized it yet. And when I read that, I kind of chuckled to myself because I kind of feel the same. You know, I feel I say the same thing every week. I feel like I've got one talk. Uh, the difference being the people in Sutton have realized uh, that. <laughs> um, but if, um, 
Notice no one from Sutton seems to be laughing right now. <laughs> yeah, Andy, we know. Um, but if you're wondering uh, what was Eugene Peterson's one and only message, well, I came across a beautiful tribute from his son at a memorial service for his life. He passed away in his 90s about five or six years ago. And I want to read that tribute uh, now. Um, the words will be on the screen uh, for you to follow along. This is what Leif Peterson wrote about his dad. He said this. It's almost laughable how you fooled them, how for 30 years, every week, you made them think you were saying something new. They thought you were a magician in your long black robe, hiding so much up your ample sleeves, always pulling something fresh and making them think it was just for them. And that's just the beginning. There is more. Casual conversations at church picnics, unmemorable chats at the local Denny's over eggs and toast, counseling sessions that save marriages, maybe even lives, and they didn't know what a fraud you were. They didn't know how simple it all was. They were blind to your secret, only saw the magic, how you performed, how you made the mysterious, the ominous, the holy into a cup of coffee, how you made a cup of coffee into an act of grace, how you could make God into something that worked for them. It's so funny they didn't know this. So many times I've wanted to expose you. Only my inheritance keeps me from giving you away. Because I alone know your secret. I alone know what you've been doing, how you fooled them all, taking something so simple, something a child could understand and making it into a career, a vocation, an empire. I know. Because for 50 years you've been telling me the secret. For 50 years, you steal into my room at night and whisper it softly to my sleeping head. It's the same message over and over, and you don't vary it one bit. God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. You know, when I um, was asked to do the opening talk at the church retreat, I want you to know I, I really did pray. I really did pray. I was like, God, what do you want to say? And all I felt come to mind over and over and over was this. Tell the church I love them. That was it. And so here I am to ask you the question. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that he's on your side? Do you know that he is coming after you right now, this weekend? Do you know that he is absolutely relentless? Do you know how much God loves you? Does Lauren know? And do the rest of us? And this leads nicely on to Romans chapter 5. Because according to Romans chapter 5, knowing and experiencing the love of God is absolutely essential to having a robust and confident hope in the future. The kind of hope that we can boast in, Romans 5 says. You know, it's, it's my hunch, it's not rocket science, that uh, everybody over the last 18 months to two years has had their hope in the future rocked to some degree. Uh, either probably because we've been directly or indirectly affected by what's been going on in the world. Uh, directly, uh, maybe we've been sick ourselves. That maybe we've lost a loved one. And maybe work has become really uncertain. Maybe we felt deeply lonely uh, during the various lockdowns. Or, or maybe we've been affected indirectly. That maybe actually the last 18 months have been okay. I mean, lockdown is like an introvert's dream. <laughs> but, 
but maybe to some degree, some stuff in here is atrophied a bit. Maybe our faith doesn't quite have the vitality and life that it feels like it once did. You know, all our confidence in the future has been shaken somewhat. Maybe there is a danger that our hope could be put to shame. How can your and my hope be put to shame? Well, I think there are a couple of ways our hope can be put to shame. The first way is if I am put to shame because I am found to be hoping in the wrong thing. So I stand in front of you and I say, oh, I hope in God, but really deep down I hope in money, or I hope in success, or I hope in people liking me and being popular. And if it were exposed, everybody would know, Andy, you're a fraud. My hope has been put to shame. How do we avoid this happening? Well, Romans chapter 5 speaks about this. Uh, verse 2 and 3, uh, Paul writes these words. We actually boast in our hope. W what an extraordinary thing to say. How can you boast in the future? Why, we actually glory in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. In other words, what he's saying is this. Our hope is tested by the fire of suffering. Money, success, pleasure, like suffering burns all of that stuff up. And if at the end of the fiery trial, we are still found to be hoping in God, well, then our hope has not been put to shame. Uh, some of you may have heard of a guy called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, he was a well-known literary figure in Russia in the 1930s and 40s, a brilliantly intelligent, wealthy, successful, also a devout communist, so uh, not a fan of the Christian faith, uh, not a fan of people uh, more, more generally, described himself as judgmental and harsh and without mercy uh, for people. And in 1945, uh, he said something derogatory about Joseph Stalin. I think he called him a megalomaniac or something like that. And his punishment for saying that was being sentenced to eight years in a Soviet gulag prison. And whilst in prison, everything that he had relied on got burnt up. There's no money in the gulag. There's no success or popularity there. But whilst in the gulag, he found faith in Jesus. Uh, he actually found faith in Christ through the witness of a Jewish man who was a follower of Jesus, uh, who later lost his life. He was beaten up by uh, some of the prison guards. But Solzhenitsyn came to faith, and he ends up writing uh, these words. He says, as I lay there on rotting prison straw, my heart got stirred, and I found Christ. This is why I turn to the years of my imprisonment. And I say sometimes to the astonishment of those around me, bless you prison for having been my life. Bless you prison. That, that's glorying in suffering. Why? Because suffering burns up idols. Burns up false gods. Now, now, just to be clear, God's master plan for nobody here is suffering. Like, just as I, as a loving dad, don't want my children to go through needless suffering, so loving Father God is the same with us. We live in a broken, fallen world. I'll say more on this in a moment. But in a broken and fallen world, suffering can have an upside, and it's this. It burns up false gods. It shows idols for what they really are. Suffering knocks all props out from underneath you. 
And when you've lost everything else, still found hoping in God, our hope has not been put to shame. And if I might add, at the end of 18 months of a global pandemic that has impacted the world in unfathomable ways, you lot are still giving your time and energy and money to come on a Christchurch London church retreat. That is a very good sign that your hope has not been put to shame. Well done you. So hope is tested by the fire of suffering. But there is a second way that our hope can be put to shame. Rather than me being put to shame, it's when the thing that I am hoping in turns out to be false. So I'm hoping in God being real. But at the end of the day, it turns out God's not real. Wah, 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 wah. Or I'm hoping in God loving me. And at the end of the day, he doesn't love me. Or I'm hoping in God having the power to help me overcome the challenges that I face. And at the end of the day, it turns out that God's just a powerless wizard of Oz behind a curtain. My hope's been put to shame. And let's be honest, this is a big question for our world right now. Millions dead as a result of COVID. Millions more grieving the loss of loved ones. Tragic scenes in Afghanistan over the last couple of weeks. Famine threatening large parts of Africa. Divisions along every fault line in society. I mean, where is God? You know, sometimes I look at my own life and think, where's God? Is there a danger that my and your hope could be put to shame? What does Romans 5 say? And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, the answer to having a kind of hope that I can boast in is an experience. It's an experience of the love of God poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I experience the Holy Spirit. I experience the love of God. I'm like, oh, wow, you love me. You're real. You're alive. You've got power to overcome the challenges I face. I experience the love of God. And I know, great, I can trust him for the future. The answer to having a hope that I can boast in is an experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize when we talk about things like this, we can get a bit nervous. Because experiences come and go. Experiences are subject to time and circumstances. You know, sometimes I pray and I worship. Oh, goodness, I come on a Christchurch London church retreat and I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And that's fine and good and totally normal. And I want to be clear that our faith and our hope is based on way more than a, an emotional experience. But let us also be clear, it is not less than that. If I want to have a hope that I can boast in in the future. I need the love of God poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, as, as a team, uh, we've been kind of talking together, as we always do. God, what do you want to say to us? What do you have in store for Christchurch London? What's next? And the thing that's come to mind again and again and again, over actually quite a period of time now, the thing we felt God saying is, there is a new day for us as a church. But I found it staggering that Barry shared that this morning. We've not talked, but we've just sensed there's some kind of new season. The picture that's come to mind for me again and again and again is like a, a page turning in a book. 
and, and a blank sheet of paper with new stories to be written. Like, what, what's God got for us? Now, I know that kind of language and terminology can sound a bit cliche. Heard it banded around before, but I, just sharing what we feel God's saying. There's a new day for us. Grave clothes off, new life. If that's from God, how do we walk into that new day with a hope that we can boast in? Like, I can't wait to see what the future holds. Love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, I realize across this room right now, there's going to be a, a big bandwidth of people. Like, at one end of the spectrum, we've got those amongst us that I would call the feelers. Like, your emotions are always on or a little below the surface. You know, you, you hug anything that moves. You know, if I prayed, come Holy Spirit now, you're like, I'm ready to receive God, Okay. If you're closer to that end of the spectrum, just pop up your hand. My people, my people. We'll have a big group hug outside later. Okay. Love you. Love you. But at the other end of the spectrum, there are those who walk amongst us. And I'm not saying they're dead. Um, just that the emotions are buried a little deeper. Okay. You're more a thinker than a feeler. Uh, if that's you, just pop up your hand. Like, I, I really want to hug you right now, like, so bad. Okay? Now, I want to say, I want to say something uh, to you guys in particular. Uh, actually, this is all of us. If you're like, oh, I don't know what it's like to experience the love of God. Like, I'm, I'm not really a feeler when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I, I want to say a couple of things. Firstly, this, pray. Just pray. God, I want to experience you. I, I want to know you're real. I, I want to experience your love for me. Uh, when Paul, who writes these words, writes to a church in Thessalonica, he says this, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of Christ. So if you're like, I want to experience God's love and I'm not feeling it, pray. God, direct my heart into the love of Christ. But I also want to see this, say this, that our experience of the love of God is rooted in historical fact, in an event in history that cannot and will not change. There is a security to our experience of God's love. Now, let me take a longer run up to explain what I mean by this. I used this illustration a few years ago, but I find it, it helpful. Have you ever watched the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan? Uh, the opening 30 minutes or so, m many World War II soldiers would say, it's one of the most realistic ever portrayals of D-Day. Uh, 6th of June, uh, 1944. On, on that day, like the most unbelievable price was paid just to get a tiny foothold on a Normandy beach. I mean, between 400 and 500,000 soldiers lost their lives in that, in that one day alone. And at the end of the day, it's like a bit of beach. That's it. Now, to the untrained eye, at the end of that day, like, nothing's changed. The vast majority of Europe is still under the power of the swastika. Hitler is still plotting world domination. People are holed up in concentration camps. Like, D-Day's come and gone, like, half a million less people in the world. Has anything changed? But in reality, because of that day, everything had changed. D-Day was like a, a tiny crack in the German defenses which the next day got a bit bigger. And the next day got a bit bigger still. 
And the next day got bigger still. And then, and then, and then. Then came the day when Paris got liberated. Then came the day when the whole of France was set free. And then came the day when the concentration camps were overrun and the prisoners could get out. And then came the day when Hitler destroyed himself in the bunker. Judgment came to that particular form of evil, as it always does, and it always will. And then and then and then, then the war was won. Glorious final victory, VE Day, people dancing in the streets of London. But the truth is, the truth was, because of D-Day, VE Day was just a matter of time. Sure, there was a lot of suffering and bleeding and dying. But because of D-Day, it, it just took a while. Victory was assured. That's kind of like the story of this book. The cross and the empty tomb, it's like the ultimate D-Day story. Sin has been dealt with. Death has been defeated. Evil has been overcome. Jesus has won. But of course, Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, to the untrained eye, the world looks very much the same. Has anything changed? Israel still under the power of Roman rule. If we'd lived here at Ashburnham 2,000 years ago, you're telling me resurrection power is loose? I don't, I don't see it. But after Easter Sunday came Easter Monday. And after Easter Monday came Easter Tuesday, then Easter Wednesday, and then, and then, and then. And because of D-Day, because of the cross and the empty tomb, final glorious victory is just a matter of time when everything is put under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 5 speaks about this. It's a really interesting exchange of tenses. Sorry for being a bit geeky, but in verse 8, it says this. But God shows his own love for us in this. That's the present tense in English and in Greek. He shows. Some of your translations will say demonstrates. Right here, right now, in this moment, love of God poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Right here, right now. God shows. Next part of the sentence, in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Past tense. Event in history. Moment that cannot change. In other words, what Paul is basically saying is this. As, as I look at the cross, as I look at what Jesus has done for me, as I meditate on the implications of that, our oh, love of God gets poured into my heart and I have a hope that I can boast in for the future. In other words, if we want to come off this retreat boasting in what is to come, if I want to come off this retreat, I can't wait to see what the new day is all about. How do we get there? How do we do that? Look at the cross. When we were powerless, when we were sinners, he died for us. Oh, wow, love of God into my heart. I can boast in what is to come. Uh, Corinthians and Ephesians both speak of this. And they speak of the Spirit as like a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Like, oh, love of God, he's alive, he's real, he's here, he knows me. Oh, it's a taste, glorious final victory. VE day is coming one day. You want to experience that? Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus has done. I want to illustrate this with a um, short video clip. Uh, I actually showed this in a talk about 15 years ago in Christchurch, London. So if you have heard me use this in a sermon before, 
it means you're old, basically, okay? Um, it's a bit cheesy. I'm sure most of you have seen it. It's actually a clip from the movie Blood Diamond with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And if you know the story, it's the story of the uh, illegal diamond trade in Sierra Leone, uh, where the rebel soldiers would often kidnap little kids and do, like, horrible, unspeakable things, brainwash them, force them to do evil things. It's a story of a kid who gets kidnapped and a father who is relentless in his pursuit of his son. And this is the moment in the movie where the father finally finds the son. That's two minutes long. Uh, let's play the clip now. Have you got it? Have you got it, huh? Yes, yeah, got it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Solomon. What are you doing? Dear. Nyangbe. Nyangbe. What are you doing? Of the proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And you do, baby? The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things, but you're not a bad boy. I am your father, who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. happening in the clip the little boy under the power of the evil one brainwashed and broken and a father who won't give up on him and do you notice what the father does remember your story remember your history the farm your mum my love and as he looks back he experiences the love of the father in the present and walks into a new hope with daddy in the future. That's our story too. You know, let's just say for argument's sake, I know we get things wrong, but let's just say we've heard God right and there's a new day. Grave clothes coming off. New stories to be written. How do we walk into that day boasting of the future? I can't wait to see what God's going to do, full of faith, confident in what's to come. We look at the cross. While we were still sinners, he died for us. As I look 
meditate on the implications of that. The love of the Father is poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. And I get a hope for the future that I can boast in. And so I want to ask you the question that I asked you at the beginning of this talk. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that he's on your side? Do you know that he is coming after you right now? And he's utterly relentless. Does Lauren know? Do you? Can we stand to our feet for a moment? Can I invite the band back up? Here's, here's what I'd like to do. In, in a moment, are we going to worship? And after which, I just want to invite to the front anyone who wants to get prayer to get prayer. Um, I didn't feel I should be too prescriptive, to be honest. Like some of you have got stuff going on in life and you just need prayer. Let's just start as we mean to go on. Let's just pray for you. Some of you need to hear God. You do with direction right now. Some of you are like, I, I just want to know the love of God poured into my heart. I want grave clothes to come off. Like if you raised your hand to what Barry said earlier, I want to encourage you in a, in a few moments' time to come get prayer. But before we do that, I just want us to sing a short song of worship and look at the cross. God shows right now his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then I'm going to ask that the love of God is poured out into our hearts right across this room. Let's just start by worshiping God together.